Good morning, everyone. My name is John Schwinghammer. I serve on the elder board here. So thankful that you guys are here with us today in person or watching online as well, too. Just a great day in the house of the Lord, even with the, the great weather that we're having today. If you are visiting us, if you would grab the connect card that's on the seat backs in front of you and fill that out. Um, we'd love to know that you're here and be able to connect with you. If there's a way that we can pray for you or be able to reach out to you and help you out. Um, there's also a connect button on the website as well. Um, it's also a good way to connect to a small group Bible study. Those uh, We have groups that meet throughout the week, um, various places, some here at the church, some in individuals' homes. So we'd be able to um, connect you guys to a, a group that's, that's meeting if you can fill that out in the connect card as well. We also do have a weekly class that's called Discover Good News. And this meets in the Lamp Room, which is just outside the auditorium each week. We're meeting at 1030 um, each Sunday. And we have a few different sessions that you can uh, you can join in at your leisure, sort of whatever works good for your schedule, and be able to learn more about the church, how to connect to a small group, and, and really what our church is all about. Next week, after the 1030 service, we have a technology expo. We, uh, we have a desperate need for people to work in the tech booth. Um, we have a, a great team right now. We could use a few additional um, people to help with the rotation. We greatly appreciate Kenny and... and uh <laughs> And Justin and Kathy and, and, every, and Pam and everybody that, that serves and Adam that, that serves on that, on that group. And we'd like to be able to add to that group and be able to help people be able to add to the rotation. And uh, so if you're interested, please stick around after the 1030. And we also have our vacation Bible school coming up here. Uh, registration is going to start in just a few weeks. We're really excited about what, what we have set up this year. It's going to be another virtual session similar to last year. But it's a great way for you to get involved with your local community and the people and just people, um, your neighbors around you and be able to invite them over to be able to have a, a vacation Bible study for, for the students and for the, the youth. So it's a really, really cool program that they have set up. So we look forward to that and mark your calendars for that in July. And lastly, I believe we have a video from Travis Stevens, who's the director of our global outreach program. So I'll leave you with that. Good News Church, this is Travis Stevens, Global Outreach Coordinator, checking in with you. Wanted to invite you to pray for the country of Mexico this month. Uh, each month we've been highlighting a country and a movement leader where we've planted churches. So this month is Mexico. So pray for our movement leader, Jorge Aleman. We've been planting churches with him for 15 years, and we're excited about what God's doing there. So please Pray for Jorge, pray for his wife and children, for his local church, and also the movement there, that the churches that are being planted will be rooted and established in the gospel and very fruitful in the, in the days and years to come. Also wanted to give you a heads up, the last Sunday of this month, April 25th, and also the first weekend of May, uh, May 2nd, we are going to have two special Sundays where we highlight global outreach and we'll celebrate what God has, has done and also what he's currently doing and what he will do in the future as we uh, praise him for the amazing work that he is building his church around the world. And Good News Church is playing a critical role in that. So I want to thank you for your investment in church planting and making disciples of the nations and excited to share more with you in the days to come. So be looking for more information. Have a great Sunday of worship. Awesome. Let's, let's spend some time in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that you 
haven't left this world alone, but you have worked in this world to seek and to save a people for yourself. And all around the world, the gospel is running and bearing fruit. We rejoice to see it. We pray that, that in this place, Father, you would be glorified in us being able to see the salvation of the Lord, the work of Jesus Christ for us. Holy Spirit, come into this place, and as I read your word this morning, and as I seek to explain the wonders of the gospel, I pray that you would move in hearts, take unbelieving hearts and turn them into believing hearts, and take the hearts of discouraged Christians and and turn them towards Jesus. Lord, take the the hearts of those who have grown proud by their performance and, and humble them that they might see the glories of Jesus. Jesus, may none in this room or watching online be left not understanding, not receiving, not resting upon Jesus alone. Father, I give you thanks for the gathering of your people that's happening here in St. John's County. I thank you for the gathering of your people around the world, and we do pray for Jorge Alman in northern Mexico that, Lord, you would continue to raise up church planters. Lord, continue to train them and send them out to plant churches in all the major cities of northern Mexico that all your people might be brought into a saving relationship with Jesus. Lord, encourage Jorge, provide for his needs. Lord, thank you for the work of grace. Help us to rest in it today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Dave and one of the pastors at Good News. And for the past three months, I've been the campus pastor and continue to be the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. I'd invite you to take your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. Now, last week we looked at Exodus 13, and what we saw in Exodus 13 was that God, when Jesus Christ moves into our life, Jesus Christ brings a new liberty. He frees us from the power of sin in our life, and we have a new liberty to serve, honor, glorify, and follow Jesus in the beautiful life. That we have a new loyalty to King Jesus. And so our loyalties to our agendas, to our, our uh, plans become less and less. And our loyalty to his plans and his agenda becomes more and more. And we have a new leader that he leads us in the beautiful life. He is wiser than we are. And when we follow Jesus, we grow by God's grace in holiness. And we saw that last week that <coughs> keeps us from falling into just a, a loose life. Just do whatever you please. Ah, but there's another danger. And the danger is this. I talk to so many Christians who are just discouraged. They say, I'm not a good Christian. Well, what's a good Christian? Because a Christian is not somebody who's living on their performance. They're living on the performance of Jesus. And we tend to fall back into this performance mindset. I mean, our, our formal theology is right. 
Like if I asked you some questions about what you think the gospel is, your formal theology might be right on. I believe in Jesus. I believe in grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. My formal theology could be right on. But my functional theology, the way I'm living my life day to day, can become detached from Jesus. And I can fall back into a self-righteous performance mindset. I can begin to live my life under incredible obligation. Mark Twain, it's said that when Mark Twain was young, he had a recurring nightmare of a 300-pound Bible resting on his chest, and he couldn't breathe. How many of us just live our lives under a sense of obligation? We say yes to everything. Hmm. How about this? <laughs> you ever boast? You ever brag? I mean, even just like a humble brag. You, you ever point out the good things you've done? I mean, just in case no one noticed. There was a time in our home, I somehow fell into this habit where when I would go into the kitchen at night after I, it, we had had dinner or maybe I had some ice cream and I'd go in the kitchen, I'd rinse out my dish, I'd rinse out my bowl and I'd put it in the dishwasher. And I would point out, hey, I'm just letting y'all know I put, I put my dish in the dishwasher. You ever do that? I don't know how I fell into that habit. I would just point out every night. And eventually my family started noticing. And so I'd go in the kitchen at night. I'd put my dish in the dishwasher. My kids would say, hey, mom, dad's putting his dish in the dishwasher. Why do we do it? Because our hearts, our hearts become detached from the greatness and glory of Jesus. And so in thousands of what seems like meaningless moments throughout our day, we live detached from grace. We fall into performance. We fall into obligation. We fall into boasting. And I'm praying for you and I'm praying for myself that as I read and explain this amazing chapter 14 of Exodus, we'll be brought back again to the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the story of Exodus is the story of the gospel. It's not the story of how a disenfranchised people found their way out of bondage and slavery by their own efforts. Oh, no. The story of Exodus is the story of how a people who had no shot were freed because of the greatness and glory of their God. So let's jump in. Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hahareth between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God is orchestrating. God is planning. God is performing. God is leading. Did you see those last four words? 
and they did so. Oh, the obedient life is a beautiful life, but don't miss this. This is so important. Our obedience flows out of the love of God, not into the love of God. We obey because of the great work of deliverance that's being done for us in the gospel, not in order to be delivered, but because we've been delivered. Oh, don't ever, ever forget that. Now, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we've done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Our economy's going to be ruined. What are we going to do? So he made his chariots ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. And I want you to notice that Egypt doesn't come after them with, with their just run-of-the-mill army. He sends his elite army. He sends his choice chariots. He sends the best of the best after Israel. And doesn't it feel that way today? That all the elites, I mean the really smart people, the smart people in the universities, the smart people in government, all the elites, the, the smart people in the sciences, they're all standing opposed to God and his word. And we say, oh, they're so smart. They're so elite. What could we ever do? And you need to know from God's word that it's always been that way. The smart ones, the elite ones, the great ones, they've rarely gone the way of God. They've often gone against God and his people. And yet, the Lord is orchestrating this, and he's orchestrating in our day to bring about his glory, his honor, his fame, and to showcase the power of the gospel. Well, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Uh-oh. The faithful people, the holy people, the consecrated people, the committed people, they've lost it. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. 
The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. What does God do for his faithless people, for his failing people, for his fearful people? What does God do? He fights for them. And he shows them grace. Grace after grace after grace. Oh, look at the grace of God. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. It's grace. Oh, do not fear. The grace of God. The Lord will fight for you. Oh, it's grace. While you keep silent. It's all grace. Now, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Now you say, Dave, you don't believe all this stuff. I mean, a big sea and a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other and the people, of course I do. Why wouldn't I? Because I've already settled in my mind the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And if I believe that God made the sea and everything in it, I don't have any trouble believing that God can move and shape and change that sea to do whatever he chooses to do with it. I don't have a problem with that at all right? The first verse of the Bible is the most important verse in the Bible. It explains and positions us to believe the rest of the story. The Lord said, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained 
But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What the New Testament teaches, the Old Testament is the picture. So we read in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we go to the Old Testament and we see the picture. The wages of sin is death. Resist God. Go your own way. And you end up like the Egyptians. But trust in God. Believe in God. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And you'll be like the Israelites. Going through on dry ground passing from one side of the sea to the other. So thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now the point of this story for you to remember is this, Jesus fights for us. This is not a story about how we are going to extricate ourselves from trouble through, through performance or obligation or boasting. No, 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 no. This is a story of how Jesus Christ fights for us. He fights for his people. Now, we're going to answer three questions in the next few minutes. Number one, Jesus fights for us. When does he fight for us? Jesus fights for us. How does he fight for us? Jesus fights for us. How do we get it? How do we get it? So when does Jesus fight for us? Well, look at verse 10. Pharaoh drew near, and the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. When does Jesus fight for us? Jesus fights for us when we cannot muster the strength to fight. We cannot muster the faith to believe or trust. Jesus fights for us when we have forgotten about him. The gospel isn't grace for good people. The gospel is grace for people who can't do anything to save themselves. The gospel is good news for lost sinners. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says it beautifully. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. When do we need Jesus to fight for us? All the time. Because when I forget about Jesus, there's nothing that my sin-sick heart is incapable of. I will just immediately fall back into self-righteousness. I'll fall back just as Israel did. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. Oh, I need Jesus to fight for me when I forget about Jesus, and so do you. And that's why we need each other when I'm uncertain, when I'm discouraged, when you're uncertain, when you're discouraged. 
Don't you need people who will speak the gospel to you? Not moralism, not, oh, come on, you got it. You can do it. Just try a little harder. No, 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 no. You need people who will tell you the gospel. You need people who will say, Jesus fights for you. That's why we need a church. That's why we need a small group. Because we are uncertain. We are slow to remember and quick to forget the grace of God, just like Israel did. We need Jesus to fight for us. Well, how does he do it? Look at verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. See the salvation of the Lord. Ra et Yeshuat Adonai. You see the salvation? Yeshuat. And so it would be. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that Mary would be told, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you shall call his name Yeshua. The Lord saves. Jesus Christ fights for us. He leaves heaven and he comes to earth. He takes on our humanity. And he's the better Moses. Moses cries to the Lord. He identifies with the people and he cries out to the Lord for the people. And Moses lifts up his staff and he stretches out his hand and he's the means through which the power of God moves to separate the seas so that the people could walk on dry land. But Jesus Christ is the better Moses. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ doesn't have the power of God working through him. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And having taken on our humanity, he lives the life that we should have lived. How did Jesus fight for us? He fought for us with a perfect life. Every point of the law, he fulfills it for you, for me, so that he could have a record of righteousness to credit to our account. And Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went to the cross. And on the cross, he stretched out his hands. And on the cross, he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. He became our substitute. He was punished in our place. How does Jesus fight for us? With his perfect life, his sacrificial death. He died in our place, but he couldn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And he brings the power of that resurrection to bear in our lives. And he says, if you'll turn from your sin and put your trust in me, I will give you eternal life. How do we get it? How do we get it? We get it by grace through faith. We get it by grace through faith. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. 
Oh, dear people, we are saved, not through our moral efforts, but through the work of Jesus Christ alone. Christianity is the story of what God has done for us, not the story of what we will do for God. Jesus Christ in John chapter 5, I believe, had the story of the Red Sea in the back of his mind. And he said these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. Through Jesus Christ, when we turn from our sin and we put our trust in Christ, Jesus says, you'll pass out, you'll cross over from death to life. You'll cross over from bondage to deliverance. You'll cross over from eternal punishment and the wrath of God to the eternal life, forgiveness and righteousness credited to your account. Oh, the story of the Exodus is a picture of our salvation that Jesus Christ says, if you put your trust in me, you'll pass out of death and into life. Have you turned from your sin? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you gone forward with Jesus into eternal life? Won't you? You can do it right where you're sitting this morning or come up after the service. I would love the chance to talk to you about how to receive and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's promised in the gospel. Oh, having crossed over from death to life, don't go back. Go forward. Don't go back into legalism. Go forward into life with Jesus. And what Jesus invites us to is to put our trust in him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. You mean, you mean I only have to receive him? There's, there's nothing for me to do? No, while, while you keep silent, Martin Luther in his preface to the book of Galatians says this, so we do nothing? Do we not do any work to obtain this righteousness? I answer, nothing at all. It is like this, the earth does not produce rain, nor is it able by its own power or work to get it, the earth simply receives it as a gift of God from above. It's the same with received righteousness. It's given to us by God without our deserving it or working for it. Stand by. See the salvation of the Lord. Receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. What I want for myself and, and what I want for you this week is that we would learn to trust Jesus in the fight. Look at the end of the chapter. Exodus 14, 30, 31. The Lord saved Israel. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
when we see the glory of the gospel, we'll trust Jesus in the fight. We'll trust Jesus in the fight for Jesus is the end of the struggle for righteousness. Jesus is the end of the struggle for righteousness. Look at John, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10. My brothers, from the bottom of my heart, I long and pray to God that Israel may be saved. I know from experience what a passion for God they have, but alas, it's not a passion based on knowledge. They do not know God's righteousness. And all the time they are going about trying to prove their own righteousness. They have the wrong attitude to receive his. Now read this last part with me. For Christ means the end of the struggle for righteousness by the law for everyone who believes in him. You could put it this way. Christ is the end of the fight. He's the end of the fight for righteousness. You don't have to fight through performance to be accepted by God, to be saved and to stay saved. You don't have to fight. Christ is the end of the fight for righteousness. And instead of your performance, you can trust that your heavenly Father is at work in every area of your life to bring about his glory and your good. Jesus Christ is the end of the fight for righteousness. So you don't have to live your life under the burden of obligation, saying yes to everything that comes along. Always afraid that if, that if you don't say yes, you're going to miss out on something. You're going to miss out on some blessing. You're going to miss out on something that you're going to get. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You already have everything you need in Jesus. If you want to say yes, say yes, because you've gone to your heavenly father and you've checked in with him. And he said, yes, this is for you. Do this. Or move forward in faith, not in obligation. Well, so you say, you say, so I have to have strong faith. You have to have faith in a strong object, Jesus. You see, there were people walking across that sea that day. And some of them walked across that dry land. And they saw the wall of water on one side. And they saw the wall of water on the other side. And they looked up at that wall of water. And they looked up at that wall of water. And they said, yeah, that's right. Take that, Egyptians. Suckers. They had strong faith. There were other people who walked across that sea on dry land, and they were every bit as saved. And they looked up, they looked up over here. They said, I don't know, I think I might die. They had weak faith, but they were every bit as saved. Oh, dear people, have faith in a great object, Jesus. will set you free from the burden of obligation. Listen, no more boasting. No more bragging. Oh, cast all your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. No more boasting. No more humble brags. What do you have to boast in? What do you have to brag about? Because we're all covered. We're all clothed in the same righteousness 
No more boasting about men. No more comparing yourself with others. Put on the robe of Christ's righteousness. Stand in him gloriously, finally, completely. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. We'll walk out of this room today, and at some point today, we'll, we'll have a moment where we'll forget about you, King Jesus, and, and we'll run back into trying to attain, trying to achieve. Oh, Jesus, will you fight for us? Will you bring us back again and again and again and again? When we're uncertain, when we're insecure, would you bring us back to your greatness and glory? Oh, King Jesus, thank you that you've done it all. And Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search the hearts of every person in this room and watching online. And Holy Spirit, with your gentleness, but with your skill, and your wisdom, would you put your hand, put your, your finger on those places in our heart where we're going back to performance, going back to obligation, going back to boasting. Help us see it. And having seen it, help us to Turn away from it and turn to you, King Jesus. And experience the end of the fight, the end of the struggle for righteousness to all who believe. And for some here this morning that they found out for the first time about sin and death and hell. And Jesus, I pray that you would draw them into your forever family now. And they would simply say to you, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I turn from my sin, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and you offer me forgiveness and the record of your righteousness. Jesus, I believe in you, and, and I receive you as Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, could you work in this place, in this church, and could you work through your church throughout John's County and throughout the world so that the gospel of grace through faith in Christ could be proclaimed. And we could become the type of people that when people are uncertain and people are discouraged, there would be others to come alongside them and, and tell them the good news again. Oh, Lord, do that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.